0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host. This is going to be a fun one. We're talking with Sam Ovette. We're going to get into exactly what he and the team at Mobile Pocket Office are doing. In fact, you can go to mobilepocketoffice.com forward slash Disco Posse and check it out. But I also want to remind folks of the great people that are making this podcast happen. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsors over at Veeam Software, our good friends who've been giving you your cloud data protection needs for now well over a decade. And in fact, uh, doing amazing things. You can check out uh, Veeam. Uh, go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse, and you can see exactly what they have for your cloud data protection on-premises data protection, and in fact, with the recent acquisition of Kasten, now they're protecting your cloud-native requirements for Kubernetes, as well as SaaS. So make sure you get all that stuff protected. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. The show is also brought to you by Velocity Closing. I've been listening to salespeople try to sell me things and to help coach teams and become better technical sellers and how to properly engage with potential and new customers. With that, I created Velocity Closing. It's a, uh, a nifty tool in order to enable you to better connect with your potential and new and existing customers to do better technical sales and really to satisfy their needs and really, really help to build a relationship. So if you go to VelocityClosing.com, you can download the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that win deals. You can download the ebook today as well as get access to the upcoming audiobook read by yours truly and an online course that's going to go with it. So sign up now, get in while the special's hot, go to velocityclosing.com. So today's episode is with Sam Ovette. As I mentioned, uh, he's the co-founder of Mobile Pocket Office. Uh, So Sam and Josh are are the co-founders. Sam's an amazing individual. We had a great conversation really about the struggles of doing the right automation, but he really talks about the human aspect of it and why it's so important. There is just so much in this conversation that you're going to love. We go into his whole background, uh, being a competitive sports person, uh, so much more. Anyway, Sam Ovette, enjoy the show.
1: My name is Sam Ovette. I'm the co-founder of Mobile Pocket Office, and we're here on the Disco Posse podcast.
0: and with that we are live or at least online <laughs> yeah. i always love to say that one day i'm gonna actually i i'm gonna do these live just so i can actually say that and be and be legitimate but
1: i love uh, it that's that sounds super fun
0: so sam ovet this is really yeah. cool because uh i've been when i found out that you and i were going to be able to record uh and and i thought this is like there's a my love of what I do here with this show is that I genuinely want to talk with people who yeah, yeah. I get to talk to. Uh, I'm like totally the the winner in every conversation. I don't know if anyone listens half the time, but <laughs> you know what? Uh, So of the, but of the people that I talk to, there's a really kind of complex problem, especially in my sphere of I'll say, you know, community or influence that people yeah, that are yeah. getting started with things we're looking around how to optimize, kind of how, how we, we build flow. So I got a lot of tool lovers. I got a lot of tech lovers. I got a lot of startup founders. I got a lot of people that just want to do things better. And so Ooh. with that, if you want to introduce yourself, Sam, let's talk about, you know, what got you started with Mobile yeah. Pocket Office.
1: Yeah. So just a little bit of the background with Mobile Pocket Office, I, I run it together with my father. And so we're business partners, which is a really unique uh situation, at least I think so. And and it's really fun. And there's a lot of um, you know, it's it's like no other business relationship that I've had before. And so that part is really cool. But as far as what we kind of do and where we came from with mobile pocket office, the whole backstory on it is basically that, you know, we there are so many processes that go on in businesses and they're messy. Sometimes they're clean. It just depends on what stage you are in the business. And it doesn't necessarily, I've found, have to do with the maturity of the business. There's an early stage where you're kind of building your process and you're figuring out, like, what are, you, what are you doing at all? But then after that, if it gets defined, some of it's automated maybe in situations. And what we've found is that, like, the majority of, of businesses – from Fortune 500, like big companies that we've worked with to like medium-sized companies that we've worked with and small ones. It's just a total range of um, in in terms of how much they've actually automated and processed and systematized what they do. Just it's all across the board. And we see a lot of opportunity to help people do this one specific thing, which is be human where it counts and otherwise automate. So you have the outcomes of being more profitable with like less manual work and you can focus on like the very important things in your business uh, with human resources and and engage people's creative minds to do those really important things versus doing manual tasks. And like, that's kind of the big thing, but a little more backstory, I'll go back a little further my, my dad, Josh, who's also a business partner. He did business process for like, I don't know, 20 something, 30 years. You know, like he's an old. He's dude. been through the mill with this stuff, so he I got, yeah, some, I got like, some he's an old stories from the you know? trenches. And uh, but he's super sharp, and so with that, it's this great thing. And his old focus for a long time was like the business analytics aspect of it versus the the marketing aspect and the sales and sort of more the front end. Once that lead comes in, all the way through, and so now we've taken that whole business process engineering approach and applied it to more of the marketing and sales aspect of what people do and automate. And then naturally, we take it all the way through the rest of the business process because as you improve one, then it just goes down the pipe of the process. And it's like, well, what can we do here? What can we do here? What can we do here? But we start with that top end of it. So that's the the backstory. And then I was a professional athlete I after college uh, doing whitewater kayaking and guiding and you know, naturally as an athlete, you get involved in all the marketing aspect of things with the companies. It's kind of part of the role is the reality. And from that too, I also saw a lot of like, why do you do that? You know, can you even track if this is effective? Cause I kind of picked up real quick, like, wait a second, I'm the marketing arm. Yes, I'm an athlete, but really I'm just like a marketing tool.
0: That's and right. Like, yeah, I- the the little known fact that, uh, you know, while you're out there pounding it out, uh, you know, in yeah. the water, on the slopes uh you're you're also know that as soon as you get at bottom you are now the interviewee you're the marketing arm of yourself
1: <laughs> that's right and then you're promoting whatever brand you're representing and like you're attracting new business for them and i also saw like this whole lack in just the total outdoor industry when we we're doing stuff of sophisticated marketing follow up process automation there's some for sure but largely it was underdeveloped and so that got me thinking. And then I got with my dad and then we started going, well, wait a second. What if we took this whole marketing side of it and what I knew about internet marketing, being involved with these companies and what he knew about the business process analytics. And we'd like put it together and started saying, what if you apply the whole business process engineering to the whole internet marketing and digital marketing aspect of what you're doing? What would that turn out to? And that's where mobile pocket office was born out of that idea and then we've partnered with different software companies and, we, and, and that's how a lot of our businesses come. Um, and so because of that, our industries that we are in are kind of across the board, which has been so cool uh, because we get to pull ideas across like, oh, we're working with a manufacturing company here. We're working with like a very digital you know, based course company that's that's really a serious company, but they're rocking and rolling and like they need to track everything. Then we're working with a software company and it's like, you take these ideas from these different industries that are like, Oh, of course you do that in this industry. And you bring it to another one and then you apply all the automation and process, and We can go through that. And it's just like, so fun. You know, you're, you're out there solving problems and you're going like, well, how can you be more efficient? How can you be more profitable? And, and in a lot of ways too, like we're giving some of these founders their time back to focus on the things that they got them excited in the first place.
0: Well, you, you bring up a, uh... That's kind of wide ranging. Yeah. Well, and there's a ton to unpack in there, but the the stuff that sticks out really right away is that you said you want to be human where it
1: counts. That's right. And that's like, oh, that's the big one. So
0: when I, when I talk to people about automation, automation is not about removing the human experience. It's about optimizing the human experience in my mind, right? It's about releasing you to do the stuff that matters. Like I do a lot of mundane stuff. Yeah boy, oh boy, would I like to get out of it. And some you can't because there are truly human touches or some kind of interaction involved, but there is so much. And the hardest part, I think that we all suffer from in our day-to-day is what can I let go of? Mm -hmm. And so how, when you, when you get started with somebody and they come to you and they say, okay, Sam, Josh, look, we need help. I need, uh, I need to get out of the way of what's going on because I feel like I'm stuck in the middle. How do you, how do you begin to kind of open up, you know, which stuff is human dependent and which stuff they can release to automation to get them back on track with what's valuable in that human time spent?
1: Yeah. So that, that's, that's, a, I think that's a great question as far as framing, because that is really people come to us and usually they go like, all right, I'm at a critical stage. And a lot of times people get this idea, like I need a scale. Right. So like I can't scale because I've got all these things that are like holding me back from that, but I can sell like my product converts my offer converts, whatever it is, and we can sell it more of it, but we can't deliver it well, right. uh, because we have human, like functions that have to take place currently the way it's done, it's holding us back. So the the very first thing we do is we go, okay, instead of like jumping straight into the weeds, we like say, okay, let's take a step back and we do what's, what's called a blueprint session, a mapping session. It's just our name for it. And we go, let's, let's like walk through the big picture of the business, like how you market, how you actually do the sales. If there's a human component to that, how you deliver whatever you promised, you know, how do you fulfill it? Do you delight people? And how do you ask for referrals? That's like across any industry that spans the, the spectrum.
0: It's funny that this is the other thing too, is that you talked about before the breadth of your, your customer base and the diversity of the customer base.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's, it's actually a sort of this elegant simplicity that it really is the yeah. the core Thing, like just you change the industry you change the logo you change the you know the the color of the hair really. of the person that you're talking to in the end really it's you are doing what has worked like they always say the best new book to buy is a really old book because uh-huh. it's probably been around <laughs> for a long time for a reason and this is we look at the classic books i mean dale carnegie we we talk about, absolutely you know if you look at the release date, the original like publishing date of How to Win Friends and Influence People, it's like 1921 or something. Like it is yeah. from almost. I think, I have, I, think I have that book ago. right
1: over here yeah. on my shelf.
0: So <laughs> it's a hundred-year-old book, but if I pick it up today, it matters.
1: That's right. That's right. So it's kind of like we take that same. It's that same idea, right? That you go. What are the fundamental components to, that make up running a business. And, and we start there and you would go, what, what do your inter not interpretation, but what does your business look like in that context? Like, what do you actually do in those stages? And so if we, if we look at those stages, it's like the very first stage is you've got to attract new interest. Like everybody has to do that. You got to like, let people know you exist. That's marketing, right? That's like the very top part of marketing. And then there's like, marketing and sales where they merge and like actually getting that interest to become leads and then turn into sales and you know that's a whole big messy thing to unpack and it's different for everybody uh but there's some core things around everything no matter what you sell and uh and then you whatever you promised somebody and they got excited about that they said yeah i'll give you my money in exchange for that like effectively that's what people are doing then um then you have to deliver that. Otherwise you get a bunch of unhappy customers like really fast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The funny thing about that, it's a, it is truly a cycle and, and most people, when they get started with anything, they don't, you, it's kind of hard to actually look at the whole end to end cycle. If we were that good at it, then we, we probably wouldn't be coming up with new ideas. We'd be advising other people on other ideas. Like there are people that are truly kind of, they've gotten it so they can repeat that process. But I would, it's easy to say that 99% of people are not ready to go with a baked in understanding of a complete flow and life cycle of a customer experience, whether that's it's, right. you know, leading to delight or leading to churn. And even if it churn leads to churn, what do you do after that? Like, what do you, what do you do after especially that? when you get into like digital marketing flow conversions, like you don't say like, Oh, we converted 4%. That's pretty good. Like, well, it's ninety-six percent of people, why did they leave? Right, like you have to yeah. actually kind of unpack that. And so, anyways, the point I want to get to this is, yeah, when when someone gets started and you say, "All right, we got this blueprint session." How many people are like an hour in and going, "Okay, hold on, guys, like this is this is really is a lot," and you real, and then you have to kind of tell them, "Yes, yeah," because it's I'm not going to give you get rich quick marketing funnel optimization. (laughs) Like, no, 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 this is not the business we're in. We're in the business of creating a flow that will work for you. So I got to get you first.
1: That's right. Yeah. And so like we do these sessions in various lengths, Sometimes the shortest one we'll do is like four hours and it focuses on like a very specific aspect of a process that somebody wants to improve. I,
0: so I, just, I know there's a lot of eyes that just widened listening to that, they're like, sir, hang on a second, the shortest yeah. one is four
1: hours. The shortest <laughs> one is four hours. Like I can't I can't figure out what you do in less than that amount of time and yeah. actually help you improve it. None of us can. And so like, maybe somebody can, but I can't. And, uh, and then like some of the longer ones we do span like a, four days, where we do two, four-hour sessions a day. Um, and so it kind of takes a lot of stamina to go through it. And it's emotional too, because you're like, we are going in and we're not beating you up, but we're, we're, and that's not our goal. Our goal is to ask you questions and really understand what you consider to be your business. What are the processes that you may not even realize are processes and pull them out. And so it's like, first we start with, the flow, the big flow, right? What do you generally do? Then we pull out, how do you do that? Like, how does it actually happen, right? And then then it's like, okay, from there, then we start at that point only, do we start looking at what should be human and what could you automate? And then from there, then it's down to actually getting into implementing those the, that these new like exciting world of automating and being able to track stuff and things like that but it's not it doesn't start with like yeah let's just jump in and automate things let's just you know, bust it's like, open
0: your hubspot account let's get started <laughs> yeah
1: like bam whack that thing open and like click click you're ready you know it's like yeah. sometimes there's a win here or there we can give people like hey check this out like let's like literally free up you know a couple hours sometimes because you're doing this manual thing that you didn't know you could just simply automate but really it's like let's jump in Let's take this experience of your business. Let's identify what you do and what all the people that are in your business do. And yeah, people, it's just a range. Like people who have the stamina, like they can go. Some people can just like keep at it and go, go, go. And they can like really just dive in. And they they're not like they're able to emotionally be like step back because we try and make it a a pretty calm like space, you know, cause it's, it's like, Hey, we're literally looking at all the things you do in your business. And, and it's like, it's like, Hey, let me just inspect all everything you've built that you're so proud of. And, and we're also going to look for all the ways to improve it, which can feel like, Hey, we're looking at all the flaws.
0: Yeah. There is a, there's a natural human instinct and a reaction, right? That we want to defend that we're, we're not wrong. And we, totally it's really hard to get people to detach from that and they they need, that's why they need, like, you can't go to them in an hour. They're going to come out of there with an, after an hour going, I don't know, these, these two fellows just came in and, and showed me a bunch of flaws in my system. Like there, it's just a weird natural psychological reaction that. Yeah.
1: I think the ego, like, you know, our, our, as humans goes like, Oh, it's very defensive. And so, I think that's something that we, we uh, to use a defensive word, but we try and combat that right away and say like, look, if you, and the majority of our, our customers that really succeed with this kind of stuff are doing like half a million in revenue or more. That's kind of like, what we've sort of found is like, if you're doing that, then you have, you have process. You may not know exactly what it is mapped out perfectly and like where you can automate it, but you're doing something repeatedly. And, and, at that point, it gets really challenging to manage it all on like notepads and spreadsheets. Like you need some systems. Uh, up to that point, you yeah, probably can do it all on notepads and spreadsheets. But at that point, it starts to break and become less efficient. Uh, and, and you start to impact the customer's experience and drop balls, is what I've seen. It is just generally what I've seen in my experience with it
0: it becomes a thing of scale, and I, and I I get this all the time, especially in 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 the tech world. We talk yeah. about you know something that works at scale, and that's such yeah. a subjective thing totally. because for it could be an Etsy seller who suddenly can't keep up with an order flow, and then they find themselves getting refund requests for something, and, and it can start there, or it could be, you know, effectively a huge product life cycle of a large yeah. organization that they they need to go back and pick up the goal and 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 learn the magic of Gold Rad, and so they'll dig into that. They'll hire process analysts, and then they'll yep. be eight months into a, a large dollar consulting extravaganza, yeah. <laughs> only to find out that ah, okay, you know, we actually we could have started smaller. Like there actually was a bottleneck
1: that we could have identified right away. And just cleaned up that bottleneck and then like gone from there. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, to go back to that original question of like, you know, people's experience coming into it, what I think is really important is when, like, even if people do this on their own, it's just like, look, if you've gotten this far, like you're a successful person, like you've built something and that's, that's admirable and impressive. And so like, we're not here to to tear you down we're here to look at ways that you can improve for uh, what you've gotten to so like this isn't a beat you up session this isn't uh something that's supposed to be like look how bad you are look at all the things you could be doing because you know the finger could be pointed at any of us and we could look at it and go like well of course there's always opportunities to improve and you were smart enough to reach out to somebody and say hey we want to improve and we want some help doing that and so we we take it from that approach when we work with people because I think that's, that allows people to like relax and be like, okay, yeah, let's like actually see how we can improve versus just get beat up by somebody, which is a terrible experience. Yeah.
0: You know? This is bad and you should feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, no, which you've
1: is... built a successful business that's running like that's anybody can be proud of that and anybody can probably improve it too. When you, When you approach a new client,
0: what do you set as your outcome?
1: So we, we ask them what they want their outcome to be. That's like where it begins. It's like, what do you want out of this? And for some people it's more personal. They want like their time back, you know, and they're more of a single founder or co-founder that's like really so involved in the business and managing everything. They just would like their time back. You know, and they'd like to spend some time with their family, like some basic things like that. You know, as silly as it sounds, um, they they don't want to work a bajillion hours a week. They'd like to be able to back off and be like, hey, I built this thing, and now I've got some space to think and be creative with the business and take it to the next level and approach the market in the next way that I want. And then other folks that are more, I guess, what I would call organizationally minded, they want to be able to. Have defined process that they can train other people on, um, or they want to set it up in a way that the resource dollars that they're allocated and they have budget for are able to go towards people who really doing creative work, doing the marketing work, the hard work of like attracting new people, um, or like a better salesperson if it's something we really could use a sales team, which is. Not everybody, but some of those are, uh, and they don't want to waste their money on hiring people who can do things that could be automated. And so to that kind of point, I'll arc on that for a second. It's like, if you invested, let's say you're going to pay an admin person like between 30 and $50,000 a year. Well, you have to do that every year with health benefits all the different things that come with hiring a person, the infrastructure of hiring a person, the equipment. What if you invested that amount in automation once, and now you have that repeatedly forever. And then you can actually spend more money on the really like talented individuals that you wanna hire to grow your organization you know, because they're going to do the creative work, the like market opening work versus the, I need to move data around spreadsheets work.
0: Yeah. What becomes the problem of you, you know, I'm going to hire a marketing person and they come up with like fantastic marketing. It could do advertising, they do whatever, but now you've just basically backed up this new problem up to the gate because you're now creating a, an influx that you don't know what to do with. So then they've got to figure out how do you handle that and then give them something on the other side. Because even getting, you know, funnel and pipeline and all of the good marketing goodness, it's only good if you've got something to give them to keep them spinning around the top of that funnel and converting down to the bottom, ideally. And and versus if you're just like, like you said, spending the money on a person to handle the operational stuff that money if spent in automation could be spent on now generating excitement and delight and 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 exponential value i think that's really what it is is that the 30k to 50k is flat linear i just the lights have to stay on so i've got to spend enough money to keep the lights on yeah versus if i you know, install a bike with that. I, could I like biking, and I'm gonna put a generator on it, and oh, then yeah. I can take that money and pay a guy, <laughs> right or whatever. Yeah. Like regenerate where that that money is being spent, so then you can spend the rest okay. of the money the right way.
1: Yeah, and then you're not worried about the issues of scale because you've done that. But but yeah, that, that's that's totally the point, point. and I, I, that's that really is the, the big picture of this is like when you talk about being human where it counts and otherwise automating if i can i go down that path for a second
0: hundred percent this is this is my jam i'm i'm all about the the value of human impact in automation yeah. not on it but in it like it's where do the touch points begin and where are the handoffs and where are the right things that we can because you we still need you know, like I get a little pop-up, I get a website and it says like, hey, it's, you know, it's it's Jack from whatevercompany.com, yeah. you know, got a question, you know, you see the little widgets pop up and like that's, you don't know if there's actually a Jack on the other side or if it's like Jack.ai. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but when you do interact with somebody and it's a human experience, you know, the the impact it has on me as a potential or current customer. And so this is why, yeah, like I said, be human where it counts. I, uh, let's dig in there.
1: So let's dig in because like that, that is, is something that people go, well, is it going to make an impact, right? Being human. And I, and I start with like the very first thing, just to frame the experience. I go like, when was the last time you got a handwritten note? And like, everybody's gotten one they're, they're you know, at some point. And I go, how did that make you feel? Right. So like, when was the last time you got one?
0: Uh, ironically enough, I it? had a, I had a podcast guest on and, uh, and he sent me a handwritten note to thank me for being on the podcast, which was kind of wild. I was like, dang, I am totally not doing this right because I should be doing this for everybody. You know, I immediately felt like good about what we had yeah. just accomplished.
1: And so like that feeling good when you get that right, it's like it, it's a it's like a really good feeling. Like it sticks with you. You have a lot of experiences daily with purchasing, with working with other people. And like for me personally, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but this is usually the experience that I hear is like that that like makes you think of that person more often. It, it is a very warm feeling. And so like that one example of a human touch, the impact that it can have on someone's loyalty to you and their interest in becoming a repeat customer can be so big. And so like just starting with that and that like recognizing the feeling that we all get when we get something that somebody took some time to care for, you know, that's unique to us. Like I know it's not automated because they related something about the experience to me. Right.
0: Yeah, it wasn't it like because so the, there actually are. This is the funny thing, and you probably know this as well, but folks <laughs> listening. There are services out there that you can hire to write handwritten notes that aren't written by hands. They're written by very cool robots that do, you know, yep. enough deviation to look like a good old-fashioned handwritten note.
1: We, I do know about them, and we and we actually <laughs> implement it for people in certain yeah. situations, but with a caveat. And the caveat is that. And, and I'll kind of go into this because I think this is the cool part about it. And I kind of cut you off with the caveat is that you actually send a personal message in there and you just right. don't have to do the work of the writing. It's still handwritten, same effect because you took the time to think about what you wanted to communicate, but you put that in somewhere digital and the automation sent it out. And so, so this it, rel- is- it relieved the workload. And that's, that's where we have like kind of, it's a, you know, you cross the line of human and automation and, that's where that whole human side, I remember this for sex. I, I just think it's so cool, um, but it's probably because I'm a nerd about it. But, uh, but uh, you know, the whole idea that a lot of times, here's what I see as the challenge with companies and individuals trying to organize the human touch into the automation process. What does automation do for you? A couple of things, right? It It saves you time if it's built right. It provides a more consistent experience, not always better, but a more consistent experience. If it's done right, it's a better experience for customers. You always want to do a better experience. That should be your priority. Not always automating better is, is what you're going for. Um, And then the other thing that it does is a lot of times it gives you tracking to look at the global picture. If it's set up right of what you're doing and say, well, from the leads we get and the marketing we do to the sales and referrals on the back end, it's easier to look at it when it's coming through digital automated systems. Like it's just easier than if you do everything manually. Otherwise, you're doing manual number crunching, and it's harder. So, the, so what we try and do with this whole thing, outside of the big picture of reducing workload, you know, trying to make you more profitable with less resources is the aspect of tracking the human touch and the value of the human touch. And and that's a really big one that we like to focus on because it's the first thing sometimes to go when you get busy, but it can have some of the biggest impact. And if you can integrate it into the digital tracking that goes on nicely a lot of times with automation when it's put together well, then you can go, wow, If we take that away, we see a difference. We see less referrals. We see less happy raving fan customers. Yeah. And so adding in automation or human touch to the tracking inside of the automation to to really show the value of it, because you go, if you're doing human stuff, like there's levels of it, right? Like I just talked about where maybe you enter a note digitally, then it gets written by a machine, but it looks human like that's still a great experience for someone compared to no note. Right. Yeah. yeah and there's kind of a spectrum of it.
0: <laughs> like if you get the note and it says, dear, Square bracket first name.
1: Yeah, like oh no! Like here's a cool no, it example, just right? Cuts
0: you inside. I've gotten some of those emails before, and you're like, oh dang it! I know it was it was <laughs> an accident, but oh, this is not cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: but like if for example, like let's say that microphone that you're talking through right now, right? That's like a nice piece of equipment. You bought it, and like level one experience is like they just send you nothing, right? You did checked out, you purchased, you got nothing. Level two experience would be like they sent you an invoice, right? And so they confirmed that you placed the order and you're, and then they also sent you some tracking details, let's say, in that level two experience. So you can track your order. Uh, and level three is they also sent another email that has like some nice words that somebody wrote on a template, you know, that merges your first name into it. Yeah. And then like level four would be like they... Send you a some kind of like thank you brochure that's super templatized. Then like level five would be like they sent you a a, a templated per, but but physical like note, right? Then level six would be an automated note that was clearly templated but your name was merged into it and it was like looked like it was handwritten, right? Yeah. And then like level seven is where we start to go. Okay, well now you put in the Unique thank you to you that somebody wrote in a digital format and then it got automated, sent to the machine. The machine wrote it, looks handwritten, and then like level eight, beyond that, now we're into full manual, right? And then like level nine is like they scribble something on the like fun on the note itself and like add some stickers or something yeah. cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, so you kind of just take that spectrum of experience for the customer, um, experience and you apply it to all those ports and you go, Well, well. What do we have the bandwidth for? Because sometimes you literally don't have the bandwidth at a certain time. And of the experience, where can we maximize using the human touch inside of the rest of the automated process? And you could start, you know, you can and you can split test it even and see the results that come through it because you're tracking it digitally. So like, well, what if we put a little less investment and energy into human touch by sending a templated digital thing Versus a non-templated digital thing that merges into a, a physical note, just using that example. And like, do we see a raging fan experience difference? And like, yeah. if if you don't, then then you know, my recommendation is probably going to be like, go with the slightly less work one because you can scale that better because you're getting the same outcome. But if you see one is like a dramatically better outcome, well, then that's when you want to invest the time and energy because it's it's doing the work for you that is really valuable of like making a super happy customer. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yeah. And, and I think this is why the the whole purpose of this, and like, so even when we talked about the, the joke of the machine writing your handwritten, yeah. bullet, like you said, it's the fact that they went further to make your experience better. So even That's though right. I know it's written by a machine and the signature on the bottom is from a JPEG of somebody's signature. Yeah. And the little sticker that was put on, you know, is about as personalized as the thing that I found in my shorts the other day. It says inspected by number 17. Yeah. Number 17, you're the best. Like that's cool. These are great. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's
0: right. (laughs) Thank you, 17. I'm going to put that out on Twitter. Number 17, shout out, fist bump to my man, number 17, (laughs) some damn fine shorts. But the even though i know what's going on in that machine i still appreciate that they went to the distance to do it and i'm way overthinking the process so 90 percent of people holy crap that's really neat they actually wrote me a handwritten note
1: that's it and that's how most people experience it right and like if you know the if you know how the sausage is made and you're like in the world of tech and you know that like this stuff's possible which a lot of people don't, which is okay. and actually works for the benefit and it's not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes, but people was like, still go like, wow, I got something personal. And like that, that felt nice. Um, and if you can get people to say like, that felt nice more often in your customer experience where they just feel that then in inevitably you're going to have happier customers as long as your product also works, you know, delivers of, on whatever it's promises.
0: In anything that we do, there's like, I, 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 I know the phrase we call it as impact versus intent, uh-huh. and one can often outweigh the other. Like the the impact in some cases, so what of a hundred customers that you know it, it doesn't jive with or whatever they, but the the intent will be felt through the process, even though maybe the impact and the outcome isn't desire as desired as as hoped. Yeah, but it is important that. And the same thing with automation, like, why are we doing this stuff? Not because I want to get out. I want to get away from customers. It's because I want to delight my customers.
1: Yeah. And I want to reliably delight all of them. Right. (laughs) Versus, versus some of them, because that's, I think what I see is an issue that we help people move past is that people get in this phase of like, I can reliably delight like this many flow of customers at that point. Now, it's not as delightful of experience because I can't handle it because I can't keep up with the many stages of the relationship that someone is in with our business. And so like, number one, that makes for a worse experience, even though the customer may not know there's a better experience out there. And number two, inevitably, if those other pieces help drive more sales and more repeat business and more referrals, which is how you grow, right. Then Well, why would you not wanna like try and increase that experience reliably for everybody so that it is a better experience? And then and then that's where you go like, well, what can I automate that takes up all this time that I don't have anymore? And then what should I really be human with? But
0: the other thing about optimization is you're never optimal. Or if you are, it's at a point in time, like it can be long lasting, it could be a period of time. One of my favorite examples I give is like, again, really good marketing automation company called Buffer that they mm-hmm. did. And I, I could go back through my inbox and I, you know, I've archived it rather than deleted my Gmail because it's yeah. just the easiest button just in case yeah. they go back. And I remember <laughs> getting my like every other day, get my email from Joel from Buffer. I'm like, you're my man, Joel. I appreciate yeah. this. You know, I knew it was a form letter. I know it's what they do. It's, they do this for a living. They're in social marketing. The, the, of course, all their stuff is fully automated. But then, about a year later, I got a note from Karen from Buffer. Uh, first thing I thought is, oh no, what
1: happened to Joel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that and it's it's those kind of things that you go like, wow you know when someone's in the midst of doing automation and and you know you're we're on a zoom call and we're working through process and we're like hey what name do you want in the email you know it's like oh just do like info it's like no no let's be personal that's an opportunity to be personal and be human um and that that is a great example of like oh you actually knew to expect stuff from joel and like the other thing is if you can actually reply and joel re- replies to you, that's pretty human. Yeah. Versus fake Joel, no reply.
0: That's right. Yeah. I mean, but the interesting thing about it's so this is interesting dichotomy that we can have a good flow and, 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 you know, the truth is we all get too much email, we all get whatever. So we don't necessarily convert or answer it or interact with it. But when that day comes, and and maybe you know I was close, and I see a change, I may, having seen a new name on there, detach. And it was a kind of an interesting feeling that I, uh, I had this internal sort of monologue of like, I know it's fake. But why did they change the name? <laughs> and like, and yeah. just for what? And this is again old Eric, overthinking the whole process, but knowing the reason I do that is because I study behavioral psychology. I want to see where this stuff breaks. And so I think if that happens, just if I get a new account rep at a vendor, I start to detach.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. Right? So any
0: change can actually, a beautiful automation flow that you have to change for a variety of reasons can has to be remeasured Rechecked and uh, and monitored because it's not just like hey this thing worked we're just going to run it ad infinitum
1: right right and that's another opportunity like you just look at all these different points in someone's journey and like that's a great example of one is like oh I'm switching over to a new rep well if that's made note of and it's thought through then that's an opportunity to, to try and not lose you because we know that you're likely to detach at that moment right you're 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 less invested because you Humans work with humans, right? We, we're people. We work with other people, and technology facilitates this process. We don't work with technology. We don't get excited usually about like the technology. We usually get excited about like the human story behind the technology, and that's what gets us into it. And then we find that it's useful, you know. And then we find that it's helpful. But really, we're humans working with humans, connecting with humans, connecting with human stories, and if you can recognize, and we can all recognize those stages where we break the human story that we've built a relationship with, then that's also an opportunity to rebuild that relationship so that we don't, you know, that one person doesn't lose you as a customer, because your new rep could be better, could be more helpful, and they could jump on and they could, they could actually say, hey, I know I'm new. I know that we don't have a relationship, but I have your history here, and I value you as a customer. I'd like to get on and see, you know, what we can do to improve your experience. Like, wow, what an opportunity. And Who knows, chances are you're probably going to buy some more stuff or add the feature and stuff like that because they thought about you and they cared about you as a customer, even though it was a new person. But they also put in, if it's done right, into their automation, a note that says, hey, when this data point gets updated, that on your contact record, you have a new rep assigned to you, then that rep has a human task to reach out even if it's done through automation to reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to schedule a call because I know I'm new and I know, and I'd like to, even with all this history, get to know you so that I can understand the nuances that may not be in our system.
0: And it, this is the interesting, it's, it's not, it's not a money problem or fix. Cause I yeah. literally had a company, I won't name the company, but they're potentially valued in the billions at this point, very, very, well-known organization and I love them to death. I went to go, I was like, oh, darn it. It's renewal time. My license is up. I got to make sure that I can get a new PO to, to renew this. Cause I know that's what I had to go through last time. So I send a note to my account rep I'm like, Hey, just checking in. I haven't heard from anybody in a while, but it's good. I'm actually low touch. I don't want to be, I don't want to get a lot yeah, of yeah. stuff. I send me the emails. I'll, 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 it's a pull for me. I'm, I'm aggressive on what I want to get out of something. Sometimes a push is good because, Oh, I didn't know that. That's fine. Yeah. So anyways, I go to my email, my account rep, nothing crickets. Three days later, send another email at this point. Now I'm in the account executive business here because I am now trying to take over my own account. I just want to renew renew my bloody license. And so nothing. And then, I literally had to go sideways inside the organization to somebody else that I knew and said, Hey, so I'm assuming that my account rep is no longer with the organization. And then I do a quick LinkedIn check and sure enough, they've moved on and fair enough. But the fact that that nothing caught that I no longer had an account rep and even worse, it didn't catch that I was trying to contact that person. Yeah, And like, I, I, I was going to renew anyways, but I, I would, they are lucky that I cared enough to.
1: Yeah. Like like the technology brought you enough value that you still needed it. It solved the problem for you. It sounds like, but like the experience was made worse based on the fact that like the, the, you used to be able to go to a human and then that, you know, you're sending it to that same email address. And it's like not forwarding now to the new person who's responsible for that. And like, Obviously, the CRM system isn't tracking it and pinging anybody, and you know that whole idea of automation and CRM systems—they kind of go together in a way from the customer experience standpoint. To go like, I can pick up like that's right. The whole idea of CRM is you can anybody could pick up your account and know your history as a customer and appreciate the value. So you don't. And you also don't have to repeat stuff to people and go. Yeah,
0: there's nothing worse than when you you you're like when you get a call from you know, somebody, and I've I've actually again same thing. I I busted on on somebody pretty hard one time because they'd phoned me, and they're like, hey, you know, I just want to know if you're uh, if you're interested for this job. It was a recruiting firm. Yeah, and they gave me the whole details on it. I was like, oh yeah, no, sounds interesting. Send me uh, send me the rec. I'll get your resume or whatever. Like four hours later, I get a call. Hey, this is somebody different. From the same company, yeah. And uh, we noticed that your, or your resume, whatever, and we wanted to, to bring this gig. And I was like, you know what, you need to do. You need to look out for people with resumes around like CRM uh, implementation, because apparently you guys need one. Yeah, I got called four hours ago about the same job by a different rep in your firm. Lose my number.
1: Right, and it's one of two things, right? Yeah, we have one. We don't use it because we're not trained on it. Right. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, which is common. And in my what in my experience, the bigger the company, the more they can afford to lose the customer. So the less sophisticated they are in using their tools like a CRM to really care about the customer. Not hundred percent across the board, but if you're bigger, if you're smaller, you can't afford to lose that customer as much. Or you feel like you see can. the
0: immediate impact when it doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Versus, Hey, I'm big and somebody's new and they're a little bit detached. Cause they're just in a more corporate environment. Um, and if the culture is good, then it works, you know, people, that's part of what they built into it. It's, it's, you know, we treat everybody with the human touch, but if it's, if it's just okay, which is a lot of cultures are just okay. Then, um, it's, we lost them. And, you know, on the balance sheet, it's like, you don't even notice that one. Little yeah, it's a rounding error lost. somewhere, right? Which is yeah. Like- you're just a rounding error versus like, we care about you. Um, so it's taking that approach of not being a rounding error. And, uh, and there's like all these, all these, you know, sexy stories we have of people who've like put in automation and they've generated this much revenue and, and it's, you know, saved this much time. And those are fun, but the the real like impactful stuff, and that's impactful, no doubt. People love that, right? They're like stoked. Right? I've got time. I've got more money. Like automation is awesome. Yeah. And uh, and then and then there's the aspect of like just taking that viewpoint of that single customer as they go through the different paths that they could as your journey, and like how do we really care about our customer and use automation to make sure we care? And part of caring is not forgetting to offer people things that could improve their experience. And I think that's something that's sometimes lost in depending on the world is people go, oh, I don't wanna like bug people with offers and stuff like that. It's like, you almost have an obligation. If you have something that could improve their experience to let them know, hey, we've got this other part of the experience that could improve. If you're interested in it, we want you to know about it. And that's another way you can use automation so that you, at, and you're doing it at a relevant time versus trying to choke people with too much up front. Or giving them the wrong thing. It's right. Like if I bought, you know, you see the skis in the background. We're here in Colorado, and uh, we're like eight miles from the nearest ski resort. So like, no you know, shortage of miles. skis uh, in the household, yeah. sure. <laughs> yep. And so it's like if I bought skis, and that same company sells bindings. Well, I, I'm pretty interested in the bindings after I've picked my skis, not necessarily before. And so then I want to. You know, I'd probably be really excited to get an email or a note about the recommended binding for that type of ski that would go really well with it. And that's like a great opportunity to improve the my transaction value as a customer, my experience as a customer, and also like they thought of me and helped me get the better value out of their product. There's a, a neat and then thing. When I buy talk- it, say thank you with some kind of note. Right. You know, yeah. yeah. Like a personal video and like, wow, now I'm really connected to a human at the organization. And I think that's what all the human stuff is about is usually companies are selling things, but if you can connect the customer with a human at the organization, then you have an opportunity to cement that relationship and we, any one of us is more likely to become a raving fan if we do truly love the product and are excited about it and you built a great product, which is a prerequisite to a lot of this stuff working. Yeah. Know.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Underneath it all, this is only good in support of a fantastic actual product experience. Uh, That's right. <laughs> that,
1: if that is bad, then it's you can do all the human and automation you want and it's just not going to work. But it, it, it's
0: proof of that scaling of every part of the experience has to be persistent and continuous. Otherwise, yeah, you will be doing both wrong They'll have poor product experience and poor interaction. so you're you're losing on both fronts. and yeah. there's a there's a saying amongst sort of the user experience community of like how you define build like web user experience and such. So yeah, yeah, I can't it's a good user experience is difficult to know but a bad one isn't. right This right. idea that it's very obvious when you have a bad user flow. Uh, yeah. but a good one it's kind of like when you walk into a a room you ever you ever do that you go you paint your room and you're all you start off and that first bit goes on the wall and you're like oh man this is going to be brutal so you paint all the trim and you do the corners and you do your edging you spend all this effort and then it takes like an hour to do the rest cuz it's a roller it's faster and then somebody walks in and they're like did you paint it mm-hmm. <laughs> like I've been here for three hours <laughs> like yeah. because you experienced all of the, the sausage making, but in the end, it just looks like a beautifully painted room. So it should be almost innocuous.
1: That's when right. The- yeah. yeah. Right. And I, that totally relates because we just painted our living room and it was like, there's, it's post and beam in this house. And so we, we had like all these, you know, wood beams running through and we painted it from like a green to like a more uh, soothing sort of white that captured the light because we got a bunch of you can kind of see skylights and, oh nice yeah yeah and uh and so i and and you know people walked in and and nobody knew that we just painted the house and (laughs) effectively so because we didn't leave all the tools out there wasn't stuff you know all the paintbrush was put up and it was just clean and nice and because they said oh this is lovely but they didn't say this is lovely because you painted it it's lovely because it's lovely yeah and that's like exactly what we wanted
0: perfect yeah and and, and boy that's that's the thing so Obviously, I get where your dad, uh, which is always, I always laugh when I see your content and I'm like, you got to say, you got to call your dad by his first name because he's your business partner. That's always like a weird I, I one don't, thing about family I business. You like, you like, say, this is my dad, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and then I say
1: like, Josh, you know, and I refer to him as Josh a lot, but, but yeah. And and, and I like, it's usually this, like when we get to know a customer pretty well, we've had a relationship and we're on a call together. I'll say like, Hey dad.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you definitely, it it's a funny thing. And that, that in itself is like one of those oddities of, I shouldn't care whether it's a family business, whether the person that, you know, runs, you know, yeah. whatever, RBAG Bank, you know, North America, I don't care if the vice president's related to the president. But I probably don't want to, you know, it would be a little weird the first time you see them to have them call them, Hey, dad, it's time to go to the board meeting.
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. I think that's just probably a cultural norm that we, that we have built up as a society. That's like, is probably why it sounds weird.
0: I think we're going to, we're going to see more of that shake out though, which is kind of nice, which is yeah. why I think also it's so important what you're doing because, in the same way we're introducing the personalization in this real family, personal experience, because that's what we want. We're humans, yeah. we want this, we want connection. We're
1: humans connecting with humans.
0: So we, we do this in larger businesses. And then at the same time, we can bring the large business workflow capabilities to smaller mm-hmm. organizations so they can scale being human. Totally. I'd yeah, love to it.
1: share a little bit about like what people can actually do to like figure that out, like just on their own. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people listen to this and, you know, I'm sure some people have an interest in reaching out, but like there's a lot of basic takeaways that people can to use in their business on their own. Um, if you want to go that route, like I'd love, I, to if you're ready
0: stories. to drop some knowledge, then we, I I'd, I'd I will take okay. it. I don't want to make you give away your goodness for free so, here, Sam. Look, <laughs> the more
1: I can give away, this is my opinion. The more I can give away of this, the more people can become educated. And if they have a truly complex process, they usually need someone else to come in and work with them. If they're at a stage, it's really a, a truly good customer. Cause for us, this is like the selfish side of it because they, they are busy doing the other things like the marketing and the selling. Those are usually the two things that keep people really busy. And then they're hiring people to do delivery fulfillment type of stuff. If it's a physical product and if it's digital, then they're hiring people to move data around a lot of times. And if it's physical they're kind of doing both. So like, I don't care. I'll give away knowledge because I think the more that I give away, the more people uh, can use it. And it also helps people feel a little bit more comfortable if they do have an interest in like reaching out. So I'm all about giving it away. So as far as that goes, I think this is the process that we take people through. And this is stuff people can do themselves, largely. What you don't have is the breadth of experience across multiple industries, unless you have that, and then you can utilize it. And you should. Um, The step one is to identify, what do we do for marketing? How do we actually close the deal after we get the lead? What's that process look like? How do we deliver our product? What's that look like? And that's the fulfillment stage. And it's, that, that can be easy or it can be really complex. Uh, and then do we make an attempt once we deliver our product to actually delight a customer and check in? How's it going? How's it using? Do you want this additional piece that goes with it that could improve your experience, right? And then do you ask for referrals in some systematic way? Referrals can take a lot of forms of asking, depending on the business. But if you're not asking for referrals from people who love you, you are losing a lot of business. And that's one of your biggest opportunities to improve your marketing quickly with the least amount of cost. So that's like, identify those. Those are your big buckets. Then you go into those buckets. And usually, uh, depending on the size of the organization, Sometimes people are, you know, many times in organizations, people wearing many hats, right? That's just the reality. Um, What you do is you take a spreadsheet and it can be a piece of paper or like like literally a a notepad, or it can be an Excel spreadsheet if people feel like they want to be digital about it. And for two weeks, you write down everything you do. It's hard, kind of hard to remember to do, but if you just go... You can do it for like, I would say like two days is kind of the minimum, but depending on how much process is involved in what you do, if you write down what you do daily for a two week period, you are going to find out all the different things that make up your aspect that you focus on the business. So if you're on the marketing side, you're going to learn about all that. If you're selling, you're going to learn about all the process or configurations of the process that go in with selling. If you do fulfillment, you're gonna learn about all the different pieces that go into fulfilling. If you're responsible in some way for delighting the customer, you're gonna learn that. And then same for the referrals, right? And some of these buckets may be pretty blank for you and that's okay. Yeah. This is an opportunity for improvement. And so we call that a personal activity log, right? So that's like, there's all kinds of fancy names we use that come from the whole world of manufacturing six, Sigma, but they don't matter, you know? what matters is the actual function. And so you write that stuff down and now you have your process or your lack of process or your mixed process. Basically, it's your set of decision points and actions that you do to accomplish doing business in those different buckets of the functions of the business. Now that you have that, now you have an idea of what's taking up your time. Like when you go to work or you get on the computer and you start quote unquote working, what makes up work and if a lot of that time is like wasted whatever you're still running a business so you're finding out what makes up quote unquote work this idea of work right and and so then now that you have this idea of what actually makes up your work you can go well what of these is the human touch that's we feel like we want to keep that's important Cool, let's like take, let's like go like that. And a lot of times you may go, wow, if you've listened to this, you might go, wow, there's probably a lot of opportunities to include a human touch. So there's what do you do? And there's a lot of thinking, what do we not do that we could do? But you start with identifying what you do to run business as is today. And then from there, from that process, what we do with people is we actually make a visual map because that helps communicate the idea. Do you need a visual map? No is it helpful to communicate across many people what actually happens to make those pieces of business function? It really is. And so we use a tool people can use diagrams.net free tool on the internet or yeah, that's their new name. I'll give you the link specifically. It's
0: always funny. Yeah. I, they, when Especially when you use a tool and then it like changes names and you're like, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> as well as like draw.io, but now it's diagrams.net and we use that tool. I was going to say,
0: I'm like, I used to use a tool called draw.io. that did a similar thing. Like, aha. They
1: rebranded to the diagrams.net. Uh, and so, but it's like, you know, of course, it's like a little app that's on my Google drive. And so like, I don't think about the name, but it is a different name. It's diagrams.net. I'll double check that and I can send you the, we can, get that for people. But, um, but basically you, you use this free tool. We, we use a free tool because you don't have to deal with logins and users and, and it's easier that way. And it's just saved in, in the drive. But the big picture point is that you have a map. Now you can see the visual process of what happens to make business run and work. And you'll end up with kind of one or two ends of the spectrum. A lot of times is, wow, it's simpler than I thought right? Where do I spend all my time working? And, and then the other end of the spectrum is, holy smokes, we do like so much more work than we need to, to get this thing done. And now when we look at it in visual flow, we, we realize that like, we're passing information from one person to another, whether it's physical or digitally done. Now we're all living in coronavirus, you know, post-coronavirus world and more and more is digital, right? But there's still physical stuff going on in the world. So this is like what manufacturers have done for years they they like go to the manufacturing floor and they go document the process and they can but it's easy to see when it's physical it's hard to see when it's digital and it's easy to send files and somebody sent another file and then it's on slack it's on asana it's on teamwork it's on whatever this tool is and you you realize like if you did that physically if you had to like pick that file up and like move it around you'd be like holy smokes, like I'm pretty tired, you know, cause I'm like doing a lot of <laughs> work. Right. And so like physically you you see the inefficiency when it's physical, but digital, it's, it's you have to get it. I feel like it's much easier when you put it in this visual form to see the inefficiency. And now it just like opens up this world of, well, how can we do it differently? And then you, the other thing we do with people a lot of times since a lot of it's digital is, what are all the different tools that you use to accomplish this? Because then you start to identify all the tools that data has to move to and from and all those connection points and all the points of failure that are potentially there and where balls could be dropped and things like that. Um, and you do that for each of the components of the business right and and the reality is some bleed into others more depending on your business um and that's just that like that's just what it is. And then you look at it and you go, well, what can I automate if you don't know much about automating, It's harder to identify what you can automate because you don't know what could be automated and what points could be connected and create automation. If you do, then it's easier. Like, you know, that's somebody asked me, like, how do you know what to automate? It's like, well, years of experience, lots of researching and figuring out what wastes time and if it could be solved. You know, it's like, I don't, there's not an automation manual for all things that could be automated. It's like, you know, there's putting pieces of the puzzle together that fit the unique situation.
0: It's a there's a funny thing, and it's a it's a visual. So it's hard to describe on an audio podcast. But I I, yeah. So I got a I got a good friend. He's a he's a magician. Uh, He was actually I saw the cards. Like what are these? His name is Rory Wheeler. So yeah, people always see me with cards in my hands, and I've always been a fan of cards. And so, but the simplest little thing is like just doing a simple fan of of cards, and it doesn't look like the reason why it looks easy when when I do it is because I'm spending way too much time just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So why would I not want to learn and leverage the abilities of somebody who is good at it rather than somebody who points me to a book in the bookstore on how to do card magic? Like, so first I want to see that it can be done by the person that's done it. Yes. And then from there, I know. Ah, okay, cool. So that becomes the then let's find
1: out if they can teach it well.
0: Right. And and so there's a lot of lot of aspects. And and you you hit the biggest thing. You can't automate what you don't understand. And this is the biggest bump into. They like, I'm gonna automate my whole sales flow. Cool. What is it? I don't know. (laughs)
1: Like, all right. I I just know that I closed the deal yesterday.
0: Yeah, and I see in my Instagram feed a thing that's supposed to get rid of all my other tools. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) And they just happen to have a special right now that if I buy by midnight, I get a- I'll be automated by tomorrow on midnight. So they are in the business of, look, those are fantastic things, but only if you use them as a tool to actually reach the outcome. Yeah, And. And this is why there's so much, and this is why having people do it and why, you know, I, I'm, like I said, why well, I'm a fan of, of what you and Josh are, are doing. If I can call your dad, that is always. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You that, absolutely can. I, and I and I think it's, and I apologize. It's funny. I say that I don't mean it to be, it's it's partly seems tongue in cheek, but it really, no, I have no, a massive respect for the fact that being in a business where you and, and, and your father happen to be related, but you bring genuineness to it. Yeah. And you bring, legitimacy to it, which is the side to that thing.
1: And it's cool too, because we can talk cross-generationally a lot easier. I think there's just a reality, like, sure, I can connect with people really well uh, across different ages and so can Josh. But, you know, if somebody wants to talk to somebody who's who's been doing it for 30 years, 30 plus years versus, you know, like I'm not that, I'm not as old as Josh. So I don't have as much experience as Josh is the reality. In, and so um, it doesn't mean that I'm not good at things, just it means like, yeah, he's been around longer. I would hope he's got more, you know? And so, and and yeah. other things too that relate to like a different way of thinking across different generations that people were brought up through that, you know, someone could explain to me and I would get it, but I wouldn't, I would like miss some nuances. And, and the same for the younger generation that Josh might miss some nuances that I would otherwise pick up.
0: Um, when, and most importantly, having a diverse set of experiences,
1: yeah,
0: is important because you will be less attached to some historical thing, and yeah. This is what, you know, quite often, I remember doing a big, we were doing a design session for it was like, a, it was a Microsoft engagement we were doing. We were taking these two big, huge directories and we were gonna merge them together. So we had all these senior people in the room and they built these systems from the ground up. Yeah. So they were like, they were deeply entrenched. They knew the names of the servers like they were their own kids. And they were so attached to how we were doing it. We That's, had to say,
1: look. There's a funny note about server names, like Josh, he came from the era where like people had their own servers, you know, on site. Yeah. Yeah. And, like he had servers at one point, you know, for many years. And like, I remember as a kid, like, Oh, this is a James Bond server. And, like, <laughs> exactly. and so you know exactly what you're talking about. And like so, this one acts up and this one doesn't. That's <laughs> right.
0: So we, we, we have the, an over attachment to a lot of stuff. And so what happens yeah. is when you have to make a hard decision, you, you, you can't separate yourself from it. So what happened was we were talking and we had all these people in the room. It was like an eight-hour, all-day session. And we literally had half the company on one, half the company on the other, merging two companies. So both of them believe they're the ones buying the other one. Both of them oh, believe yeah, yeah. we sure. agree. We should choose a common standard, ours. right? So you know they're coming in the with, data and stuff. with bias. right? Each side is like, we already did a great job we'll just help you adjust your side and yeah, yeah. the other side's like we agree but the other ray and this you know i, I say he's a kid right he was probably like 28 you know he walks into sure. the room in that halfway world through, that,
1: you know you're still like you know, you're oh, yeah oh yeah there's like for people sure. still see even though you may be to, like the best mind in the room right Would you always tell people like your new employee and i won't go off on of this tangent for long but uh your new employee whoever you brought in or partner whatever. That doesn't know how you do things and is learning for the first time is your literally your most valuable asset because they have fresh eyes and they're asking why do you do it this way. Anyways, yeah,
0: yeah, no, and, and that, so that was the funny thing is in comes this this you know kid quote unquote right and he walks in literally comes in he where everybody's in like traditional business attire he walks in he's wearing a just a regular you know button shirt leather jacket yeah. hangs this jacket on there looks on the whiteboard on the wall and says. So this is the before directory. This is the after directory. Like, yeah, he goes, and he just draws a circle beside both of the tree charts and says, we need to just start a brand new directory and just import everything there. And then we went on a lunch break. So we literally had like six minutes with this person. And it took six minutes for everyone in the room to hate him (laughs) because they're like, hang on a second here, kid. Like there was literally this we know, weird- We
1: know how to do this, right? right? Get like... off
0: my lawn. And so we had this amazing, like the first reaction was, you just moved my cheese. You told me my cheese is totally. nice. All this weird stuff just occurred psychologically. And then four hours later, we all- shook hands as we finalized the new centralized third directory design because we realized having no attachment to it, he had made the right organizational decision. And it was an intellectual discussion, not an opinionated one. And it took us all a while to get there together. But that was the thing of, but he couldn't have done it without having the folks that built this thing from the ground up there in the same room. So this is why you and Josh having Absolutely. this diverse experience is somebody may come in, you know, and next thing you know you're coaching a team for a startup where they're in their mid twenties and exactly. they don't even know what Six Sigma is because they heard about it. They read it in a book one day. You yeah,
1: know, exactly. And it's like not in their world, you know? Yeah. So you get the, the, It is
0: super valuable to have, like you said, some fresh lenses and fresh eyes on things. So, and talk about diversity of of experience. How does whitewater rafting make you better at business process?
1: So yeah, so that's a that's a one we 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 sort of talk about because I think it really is valuable if you relate the experiences. If you do it independently, and I I am a big uh, and it's. And I'll kind of correct you being a little bit snarky and and sad, is it's whitewater kayaking and different. <laughs> ah, sorry,
0: I My you know? I totally got busted by that too. I was like, <laughs> I, I should have known better. But it doesn't
1: matter. It doesn't matter. And uh, so, you know, I grew up, I, I have a like a degree wise of a degree in environmental science, which, which was physics and economics and taught me a lot about ecosystems and how things work together. And so that experience is one aspect of it. And then, you know, growing up around, our dad and, and our mom who always in business and like our dad who's always been involved with this business process. Like you just sort of pick stuff up and ways of thinking about things. And so my brother and I were always involved with like running little businesses and stuff along the way. And we have had a sincere interest in the environment. Um, and so I took that and, and got a degree in environmental science after high school and, and, you know, went to college and it was a great experience. Cause I learned to think about systems. I learned things about how things interact. And so. But I had more of a pull of like an interest after that in, in whitewater. Like I wanted to go be in the mountains and you know paddle the hardest whitewater I could find. And that like really drove me for a few years. And you know, I have to make a living doing it. So I was guiding and teaching people about how I was teaching people the systems of learning whitewater. I was teaching people. And then I was paddling and racing in different races on steep waterfall races where you're racing complex rapids and and then doing um different runs where you know rivers and creeks where there's a lot of risk assessment that has to take place and then you want to take that experience if you can in my view i always found that what i was learning in those environments was how to assess objective risk and then Do the take the risks that I was comfortable with, and also try and not put myself in situations where I couldn't make adjustments. And then when I did have to make certain actions, I had to commit to them and move swiftly. And then you're also looking out for other people that are with you. You're doing your own personal thing in your boat with your paddle, but then you're also looking out for the rest of the people and they're looking out for you. And so this idea of risk and judgment and breaking things down into the component parts, because you you don't just paddle a whole river, you paddle one rapid at a time and within that rapid you paddle sections of it at a time and you can even break it down further by getting in the calm spot behind the rocks and then looking ahead and saying well i have three options which one should i take based on my position and skill and so with this what you're doing and there's a lot of planning and organization because you've got to get yourself to the put-in and where you're going to start and you got to make sure that there's somebody to pick you up at the takeout and you've put a vehicle there And so all these factors go into judgment, risk assessment, objective risk versus subjective risk and designing a a thought process that you can use and breaking down things into their fundamental component parts in a really chaotic environment. And if you relate that to business, what I found is like business is super chaotic because it's chaotic and, you know, are people going to die? Generally, people don't die in business. You know, when Whitewater people can die. i and, and we've had friends who've unfortunately passed away. Like they've got and and you know, that's a terrible thing. But in business, people don't die. So like number one, that's easier. <laughs> yeah. Number two, the chaotic nature of humans and organizations is like what makes up business relationships and what makes up people's experiences. And if you can break it down to the fundamentals of those experiences that create the journey of that the customer has then you can identify how to proceed and you can weigh your objective risk of trying new things. And you can also limit your objective risk by testing things in smaller aspects of the customer base or prospect base and seeing if it's a good path and if it's gonna work and then you can apply that to the rest of the business. Because a lot of times what I see is people, I wanna automate everything. And I'm like, you have zero automation right now (laughs) if you automate everything right now objectively that's potentially extremely risky because you have the potential to totally you're you're going to change every customer's experience with you overnight you know in a matter of weeks or months that's quick for business right That can be very quick and you don't know the impact you have zero idea of the impact and you have zero idea of what that's going to be well received and I don't know either. Like anybody who tells you they know exactly how things are going to be received, give me a break. Like, yeah. you know, you can make assumptions and you can make good guesses, but like until you try it out there in the wild, you don't know how it's going to be received. You know what I mean?
0: Talk to Dig, you know, Twitter, every company that's especially at scale, they make a, a little, this really neat change. And then like Dig was a great example where they literally just evacuated their user base because exactly. they said, we, we think that this is where we need to go as a company. And they redesigned and re-architected the flow. And it resulted in a catastrophic effect on the business that they couldn't recover from.
1: Right. And that's the key. So it's like, that's an objective risk. Anytime you're going to change your systems, it's objectively risky if you have systems that work today, even if they're time consuming. Yeah. So you need to take that and break it down into the component parts and then apply it to small segments of your audience, whether that's prospects to conversions to sales or uh, fulfillment aspect of it. Um, And if you break that down, this doesn't matter what business you're in, right? Like you change things, you don't know how people are going to respond to it because they came in conditioned a different way. They didn't come into the experience with the new one you're talking about and thinking about that, like in the boardroom, in the zoom meeting with everybody seems like, Oh, this is going to be the best thing. It's like, yeah, probably is pretty cool to you, but like people have a certain experience with you. You need to change that carefully and thoughtfully and test it and see what happens like and test a portion of your business that is enough to make a significant test to see if it's possible. And then if it's viable, if it's a better direction, people like it, but, don't just wholesale change overnight and tank the business along the way yeah and so that aspect of the adventure sports now we do like we ski and we ski in avalanche terrain and and so we're doing all these objective risk assessments um and you know still do whitewater a bunch um but uh that's where I moved to Colorado my wife and I because we love the environment here and the idea is that like change doesn't have to be slow, but it, it should be done smartly. And so you want to break that down, break the components of the change down what impact of the customer experience does it have? And like, you know, change the post purchase experience first, maybe see if you can increase customers that way. they are, they're already buying. They're likely that's less risky. If you want to change the experience of how people come into your business today, and the whole sales process, and it's like working and you have a functioning business, you're not just trying to actually figure it out. Do it in chunks with portions of your, you know, a lot of times in this case, portions of your database of your customer base, test it that way and, and make sure you put the measurement in place to see the impact. And that's, that's a lot of times missed um, is the measurement component, which is we work a lot with that. Not only the automation, but like measuring the effectiveness, so you can see what the impact the change had, and you can try different things. But that that is really the big thing, is as far as how whitewater, because that was the sport that I became expertly proficient enough that people wanted to sponsor me. I could paddle at a professional level. I could run, you know, an eighty foot waterfall slide thing, and I, I felt comfortable. I wasn't redlined in my mind. I was I I could see all the nuances. I could navigate them They're still objective risk but i knew how to navigate the nuances it didn't just look like a crazy ride i don't actually really like yeah. adrenaline that much
0: <laughs> that's this is the funniest thing that i so i do uh i i, I do a lot of crazy that kind of play. answer like kind of yeah no that's perfect here. and, I, and it's, it's it's very appropriate to what i want to close up with is like you know i'm i i'm a cyclist i'm a road cyclist and my favorite thing and i like you you talked about you know uh, one of the things you like to talk about is going uphill. My yeah. favorite thing to do is to go uphill because immediately I'm in an elite category of people yeah. who think this is this is a fundamentally stupid idea like there's no need. So I go up the hill while other people are coming down and then I come at the end of that race hurtling down that hill at like 80 kilometers an hour totally. effectively on two thumb tips of rubber.
1: Yeah, yeah, we I I can relate because we ride up to the from our house to the ski resort, so it's like yeah. we climb the hill on our bikes and and we love that.
0: Yeah, and I people always think like that's it's quite a rush. I'm like it is. It is a physical adrenaline rush it is, that you get for sure. But I'm also always mindful of like you said objective risk. Cause when I come in, I'm, I'm moving. I slow down to like 60 and 50 I'm heading. And I see there's a, a hairpin corner. I've got to know my braking speed. I've got to look for is somebody yeah. else is coming there up. Gravel? I've
1: gotta, yeah. Is there some new road wash? Is there like a pothole? They're like
0: every time I see an extreme, you know, sport video, it's always closed up with a dedication to a loss. Of that's way. right. It's scary. Now, not to say that they aren't also aware of objective risk, they're yeah. just extremely exposed to high risk.
1: And that's but right. It's like, that I is, don't wanna be, true.
0: I'm not doing this cause I wanna be feel the, the adrenaline. I'm doing this because I wanna get back to the mountain that I can climb that thing back up again. Cause that's yeah. where I really enjoy
1: and, it. Yeah. And I would so, say that I think the majority of really high level athletes that I've met and probably high level business people too, Um, can be related that like most of these people are pretty risk adverse. And so they try and do that whole thing that we all hear about, like protect your downside, right? Which means in business, I feel like it's a little different in a way, but athletically you can train to a point where you have skill and you're not like, you're not experiencing an incredible amount of adrenaline. You're experiencing uh, a high level of skill to execute what you're doing and so you're able to work within those objectively risky environments and they are truly objectively risky and that's why people die because sometimes things go wrong and yeah. that's the objective risk but the majority of them are like not adrenaline thrill seekers they're actually just like want to master their skill to a level they can operate in an objectively risky environment and and that's my experience and i th- i i I've, confident in saying that and then i think like if you look at really good business people they don't tend to take massive amounts of objective risk without some way to protect their downside of that risk
0: it's a it's the skill i i and i so my oldest daughter she's a professional snowboarder and Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, you
1: get that zone, you know, when I
0: first got her rolling on stuff and I taught her like BMX, we go to like an indoor yeah. BMX park and, and stuff like that. And so I, I'm like coaching her on stuff yeah. that I know she's going to surpass me on fairly quickly. And I'm kinda, sure. pretty proud of that. Yeah. But what's funny is she'd always say, you know, I, I want to learn. She does like inverted tricks on a snowboard, yeah. which is like the scariest thing to watch as a parent. Cause then, you right. know, the risk, you know, the risk that's involved there.
1: Super, super high if you mess up, right? Yeah. And so. Spinal injuries, that, that kind of stuff.
0: That's it, right? And so I, I I, think like, I am, I'm a fairly confident athlete. I do not want to take that risk on. Yeah. She's at the next level. A she skill. doesn't want the risk, but she understands it. So she knows it's a balancing act of like training towards the understanding, you know, that, that risk potential. And I, I told her from the very beginning, she said, like, how do, how do I jump? And I yeah. said, well, start small. And she's like, if I like do a 180, how do I know, you know, like how do I go from a 180 and, and, and maybe try a 360? And I said, yeah, just the only thing you need to know. And this is Sean White, I think said this, they said, how did yeah. you learn how to jump? He says, I didn't learn how to jump. I learned how to land. Exactly. And if I knew that I could land from any angle, then I knew that I could jump and I could get back to where I knew I could land. And that lesson that he kind of gave was how he teaches as well. It's this thing of like, I'm not going to teach you how to do a, you know, a backside 720. I'm going to teach you how to land, you know, frontside, backside, switch, whatever, inverted, off the side, if you hit the lip. I'm going to teach you how to land 85 different ways so that when you do 80 jumps you still got five free landings that you know you can land <laughs> you know like you yeah, always know that no, totally that's that like closest with, uh, to landing
1: With the whitewater thing is like there are like three or four fundamental skills if you can master those skills on easy whitewater that does not have the consequence of hard dangerous whitewater and then you can master your mental state in the heart of whitewater to execute those skills by progressive increase in the difficulty and exposure that you're facing yourself. You're going to be doing those same three or four skills. You're just going to be doing them faster, more repeatedly, and with a greater degree of objective risk if you screw them up. And but But the fundamental movement is the same. And that's like the taking that to the whole like automation and process side is like what we talk about is like scale the idea in your own organization. Start objectively with small risk, like where you're not exposing yourself to great risk the first time you try something, meaning try it with a small segment of your customer database and see what happens. Try it with, uh, you know, a thousand new leads. If you're generating let's say four to 10,000 a month, like try it with a thousand enough that you can actually get a sense of, is it working? You have to actually try. You can't not try a certain amount and make a decision off five people, but try it with a segment where you can keep running your business. You're objectively not exposing yourself to hazard by doing it in smaller portions, one piece at a time, and then add to them as you improve that. You know, build your big vision. Like lay it out. What do you want to do? And then do one piece, then do the next, then do the next. Versus mega overhauls that have the potential to change things.
0: There's a a
1: because I always like think about that in terms of like, well, athletic makes sense. You can just compete. You know, you just repeatedly up the exposure to the difficulty, and so the skill doesn't outpace the the difficulty. And it's like, well, it's you know what's the body and the mind in business. It's it's your customer base and the amount of people that you're trying something new on and then seeing what outcome you get and making sure that you're like aware and truthful with that outcome before you make major overhauls. And that can be done incredibly fast with the right amount of flow of business. It can be done very fast, but you don't want to skip it.
0: And in the same way I as- do this, like the exposing them to a limited controlled adversity. Yeah. You don't suddenly say, I've got all these names in my database. I'm going to start sending them an email a day. Yeah. No, you start them on a weekly email. Yeah. And then when someone, when you see the click-through rate go up, then you do a test and you send a a midweek email. You don't just suddenly go, all right, cool. I'm going to put this. I'm going to put my new database uh, lead into the old, uh, <laughs> put old in at the top here. And I'm just going to send them on down the falls. You, no, yeah. you, you, you begin in the pool and then you get them comfortable with that. And then you move them up through it and right. progress them and measure it so that, exactly. you, like you said, it's not just internally, but externally. We are all, we grow with, Uh, like the the right amount of exposure to adversity is especially it's like, like a vaccine. You're purposefully exposing yourself to a mild contagion so that you're prepared to handle it. If it comes at your full
1: force. And so like, that's the whole thing, right? Like that's the, the, how, you know, we all want overnight, like, ah, this person just did this thing and then it worked. And like, sometimes, yes, like you can luck out a hundred percent, but in business, you know, in, in sports it doesn't relate. You try a jump and you're not skilled enough, you're probably going to crash. But like in business, you can you can luck out for sure. You try something and it's just like shoot, you lucked out. But um, if you try to like uh, quickly but smartly make changes and track their effectiveness or non-effectiveness, so you can do something different. Then you have the opportunity to do that gradual increase to a different environment. And it's not necessarily a more difficult environment, it's just a different environment, I would say. Um, yeah, I think that's a big part of how we look at process with people, because it's exciting. You get, you know, you do identify all these opportunities when you do these mapping sessions of like all this potential improvement that that like on paper and in discussion feels like improvement and most likely it is improvement you know but to just like roll it out wholesale is this is the most dangerous thing someone could do yeah, it's to like, an existing business
0: it's like saying i really like going to a buffet i'm going to become a competitive eater you know right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> or worse i can eat three meals a day i like that is effectively what it is i'm just i'm going to start going to a buffet every day now you're like no 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 yeah it, it is it is the right It's the intelligent approach to amplifying the human potential to let people be people where it matters to be human. Mm -hmm.
1: That's really what it's about. Let the humans do the cool freaking human work, the creative work, the smart work, the strategic work, and let the machines, let the computers do like the repetitive, boring stuff that still has to happen.
0: With that, i'm proud to have had a really great discussion here today Uh, this is good sam so mobile pocket office uh we'll have links of course uh down below uh and if folks want to get a hold of you and find out more uh how can they connect with you through the socials and such uh what's your easiest way for people to find you
1: yeah so i'll just put it out there people can if they want to email me directly they can do sam at mobilepocketoffice.com. that's easy uh anywhere on the site there's there's book now buttons they can schedule a call through our scheduler um and then what i'm happy to do and i don't know if this is something you do but i I'll, we can put a page up uh mobilepocketoffice.com forward slash um uh disco posse dot or it would just be mobilepocketoffice.com forward slash disco posse and uh on there we can we'll, we'll put some resources up for people to like learn more in depth about how to do this for themselves? How to think about this for their organization?
0: I love it. I'd I would yeah. be I'd be honored to uh, to be part of the URL and and hopefully send some folks there. So uh, cool. so yeah, let's do it. And thank you again. You know yeah. both. Yeah, there's 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 a, a ton of great lessons in here, and I appreciate that you've shared that. And uh, so I'll I'll say definitely to Sam and and say say hello to Josh. Hopefully we'll I'll, I'd love to I actually have, have the both of you on one time as well because yeah, let's do that you both have such a great, I love the repartee you guys have together. It's, uh, and also, you know, the, the clients tell the story, you know, I, I go through and I went, I, I, as part of my research is I'm a guy like that. I, you know, you look at the people that, that feedback and, and, and I see why, right. I've been lucky enough to spend 90 minutes with you and and I'd spend a lot more if I could. So (laughs) look forward to catching up again. Uh, and Also shout out to Joel from Buffer. We miss you, brother.
1: He's out there somewhere. Number 17 for the <laughs> good number shorts. 17 and Joel from Buffer. This God, is, Cause it, I tell you what, like the shorts, you, you know, you, I don't know if people realize this, but like a lot of clothing is handmade. And so like, who actually did that stitch? It could be like a centimeter off and it changes the game. It's Especially uh, when it comes to like sports and dress apparel, like, man, it's a, uh, Talk Seriously. about human experience.
0: Uh, you know, <laughs> we we think that we we outsource it and farm this stuff out; that it's made by a machine. You're like, no, it's it's very much. You know, yeah. like when someone says, try like,
1: all the shirts on the rack on and see which one fits best of the same yeah. shirt, because they're all going to be a little bit different.
0: Well, and actually, <laughs> I, I hate to extend. You know, I I I, I don't want to step on what you're you're saying, but it's like, so I'm a guitarist, and yeah. one of the things that's amazing is Fender. Uh, is a classic American made brand, right? And then they have Japanese versions which are made and they are like laser cut and they are perfect. So you could pick up any Japanese Stratocaster and it sounds exactly like the other ones. It's so beautiful versus you pick up an American Strat and you could probably fit a dime between the neck and the body on some of them. Like it's, they're actually handmade and they're like slight nuances to it. Yeah. And it there's actually it's a beautiful thing because yeah. well I you know that's why they're more like because they literally are like handcrafted. So I always laugh when someone says like you know I, I get like handcrafted you know clothing I'm like I think all clothing's handcrafted. It's just a matter of who's handcrafted it and how much yep. we paid them. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's it's just so that it's true. a really really big Etsy store called Nike.
1: <laughs> that's absolutely right. Awesome. Hey, Sam, thanks very
0: much. It's been a real blast. And then of course, like I said, I'll have links to the show notes uh, and we'll send some folks the rest. There you go. Check it out. Mobilepocketoffice.com forward slash Disco Posse. I love it. I'll talk to you later.
1: thank you.